Hey everyone, I'm Rima Reis and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace about life and how money messes with it. So this week we are doing another group chat where we invite a couple friends of the pod to answer your questions about money and work. For today's group chat, I've got two great guests, Tobin Lowe and Julia Furlan. Welcome, y'all. Woo! Hello. So, Tobin, you co-host Nancy, a podcast from WNYC about the queer experience. Mm -hmm. It's really great. Mm -hmm. It's actually one of my favorite podcasts. Oh, thank you. Um, And Julia, she is a reporter and host. You might know her from her series on adult friendships from NPR's Life Kit podcast or from our first ever group chat, which aired a few weeks ago. So much fun. Are you all, like, what role do you all usually play in your group chats? Like, are you the person who asks a billion questions, or do you ignore it, or Mm. do you say funny things? I want to be funny, but I'm usually just the person that's, like, the eternal cheerleader. Mm. I feel like I'm I'm my best self when I'm rooting for someone and sort of being like, it's okay, don't be mean to yourself, Mm. be good to yourself. That's my sort of Mm -hmm. general position in Probably every group chat, which oh, I love that is, I think, I hope Cute. it's helpful. Yeah, stay home from work, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, how about you, Tobin? You're the funny one in your group chat, aren't you? Uh, I feel like I do occupy, like, to use a very current reference, I'm like very Chandler Bing oh, in wow. my group mm. chat, <laughs> which nice. is to say everyone else is like chatting away, and then every let's say twenty lines, <laughs> I pop in to be like. Huzzah! (laughs) Funny line. (laughs) Squeegee! (laughs) What about you, Rima? I'm kind of boring. Like, I feel like I'm that person who's like, oh, LOL. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody needs a lawler. Everyone needs that person, right? You you need a lawler in the peanut gallery. You need that. Throwing an LMFAO. I would would revamp what you just said to say, you're the hype man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That is exactly what I am. You're making jokes funnier. You're making things land harder. A joke is not a joke without an audience. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) All right. We can get into it. Okay. Y'all ready to give some advice and tell people how to live their best lives? I love it. I really love giving advice. I cannot wait. Okay, perfect. And I would rate myself a B plus. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> no, to be clear, I am also a B plus. <laughs> I just love it a lot. <laughs> Great. All right. So our first question is from a listener. Her name is Erica, and we'll play the tape. I live in New York City and recently quit a pretty well-paying job in advertising to go to graduate school. I knew that would be a big financial shift and I had prepared by saving, but it has been more challenging and more embarrassing than I anticipated. One example is that we went on a trip on a long weekend with some friends and it took me about a week to work up the courage to ask how much I should budget for it. Uh, Thankfully, it was just $40 for groceries. But I also know that I pay less than everyone else because that's what I could afford. I love my friends and I want to maintain these friendships, but it can be really hard when our income is so different. And especially when hanging out is normally at a good restaurant or a place with $15 cocktails. So I'm just wondering if it ever gets easier to say, you know, I'm sorry and I want to see you, but... That's just not in my budget. Thanks. Mm. Mm. I feel this one in my bones. Mm, New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you guys think? 
Tobin, you go first. Um, so I feel like I hear two levels of things going on in this question. One has to do with sort of the practical problem, and then one has to do with, like, the emotional problem. Mm. So to me, like, the practical problem is just, like, hard numbers of, like, I can't afford to do some shit that, like, my friends want to do. And to me, sure. like... The advice there, having been in that boat before, is, like, you kind of just have to become a planner. Like, mm -hmm. to me, it's about, like, cutting people off at Badger Pass. <laughs> like, you're the one who's proposing what things you want to do, what bars you want to go to, because you know what's in your totally. price bracket. And then, you know, getting comfortable saying no to the things that don't work with your budget. That's just, like, a real thing. Mm -hmm. And then I think the mm -hmm. other thing that I feel like is going on here is the emotional thing. Like, she's talking about shame here, mm. which... You know, like, I changed careers pretty late in the game. Like, I know what mm -hmm. that is. Like, there is embarrassment that comes with, you know, damn it, I spent all this time and money on this other thing, and yeah. now I'm going to start over. Wait, um, now I'm curious. What were you before podcasting? I was in the extremely lucrative field of classical music as <laughs> oh, a cellist. I had no idea. Yeah. yeah. That was my job pre-radio. Wow. Yeah. And it was a lot of time in my life and, a, you know, a lot of money to be real. And so to yeah. switch out of that, I was deeply embarrassed. Mm. I don't think that people need to feel ashamed about money. I'm not saying that it's easy to not, and I'm not saying that it's like a magical thing. But right. I would say that like feeling embarrassed, especially within a group of friends that is clearly already caring for her, I think that your work is to let go of the shame because – it's incredibly brave. It's vulnerable and it's it's brave to go and try something new. It's brave to change the course of your life in a drastic way. Totally. So it sounds like you're saying it's also just better for everyone if she is just open about yeah. the fact that it's her finances and it's not. Because then you don't want a situation where she's just like ghosting or just not responding to things. Right. Or, yeah. That stuff which comes I've, from shame. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Which can be an easier thing to do, uh, you know, in the moment. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, too, like, good friends know that group stuff is about the time spent together. Mm -hmm. So honestly, mm -hmm. like, maybe this is a good chance to wean some people out. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you catch somebody being like, no, it's about these $15 yeah. cocktails because right. I want the you cocktails. Like, okay, bye. You're like, cool. Well, cool. we're going to get a box of wine. You yeah. can come over if you want. You're not invited if you suck. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. Okay. So let's do the next question. One of our listeners, Pat, sent us this message. Hey, guys. Love the show. So I grew up in a lower-income family of eight where all my clothes are hand-me-downs and money was always really tight. Now, as an adult, I'm making more than my parents' combined income, and I'm currently the most well-off among my siblings. It's naturally led to some differences in spending. My wife and I bought a house a few years ago, and we just got a newer car and a brand-new furnace. Meanwhile, everyone in my family only buys cars from Craigslist, and my brother-in-law couldn't believe that I didn't try to fix our old furnace first before buying a new one. I love my family, but it seems like our financial lives are growing apart, and I'm not really sure how to bring up things with them without seeming snobby. Any advice for someone in my situation? Thanks. Hmm. Okay, why don't you go first, Julia? Pat. Um, you know, I think that, like, there are a lot of things that happen when you – change class or when you like move from one class yeah. to another and just because you're earning more money does not mean that it feels that everything feels simpler and I you know I think that that's something to acknowledge I also think that Pat 
your work here is boundaries. Like your family, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, okay, a new car, a new house. These are things that like ostensibly your family will see, but like they don't need to know about your furnace. I think that your family doesn't necessarily need to know every financial detail about your life, and that's okay. I mean, Julia, the thing you're saying about boundaries is so true. It reminds me of a time with my therapist where... Mm. Love it. (laughs) Shout out to therapy. Love (laughs) therapy. Pat, get yourself a great therapist. Everyone who asks questions, get yourself a great therapist. That's the first first rule of Tobin and Julia (laughs) giving advice. Prerequisite is that everybody should be in therapy. Yes, absolutely. Agreed. No, but I was talking to my therapist once and I was, you know, talking about my mother as one does and (laughs) who I... I love my mom deeply, and this is not anything shady about my mom. But it was that thing of telling my therapist about, you know, when I say this thing to my mom, sometimes she has this reaction. I don't super love it. And the therapist was just like, and why do you tell her about that? Mm. And I, it was a real aha moment of like, oh, yeah. knowing my family the way I do and knowing how they might react to something or how they might interpret something, I can pick and choose what That's I so share, mm-hmm. you know, or like you know, I can sort of navigate that relationship with them. So if right. you have that knowledge, yeah. I think boundaries, like right on the nose, that right. is what it's totally. all about. And then I also think, you know, this thing of knowing that with your siblings, with your parents, those are complicated relationships sometimes. If you know that your sibling is coming at it from a place of jealousy or from a place of maybe you have something I don't, If you can sort of remind yourself in those moments, like maybe their reaction is still what it is, but the way you receive it can change. Mm. If you Mm. know that that is what they're doing or that is how their brain is working, then it might still sting, but you're not taking it so personally. Right. And you're just mentally prepared and maybe not feeling as defensive. Yeah. So to y'all's point, I think it makes a lot of sense for our listener, for Pat, to be selective about what he shares and maybe not tell his siblings every single financial detail. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's hard because, like, some of that stuff is public. Some of that stuff is, like, we got a new house. Right. We got a new car. We're going to drive up in the car, whatever. But, like, I think that, um, you know, there's also, like, shout out to just sort of, like, acknowledging and moving on, like, you know, where where your brother-in-law is saying, like, wow, I can't believe you didn't fix the furnace. And you're like, yep, how about so, the gonna have sport? <laughs> How about them sports? Yeah. How about the football? I'm a natural sports <laughs> lover. How is the turkey? You know, like yeah. it's like climate change. Yeah. What a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you just right. you sort of I think that there are some moments where enforcing a boundary is actually just like not really acknowledging the absurd thing that happened and keep it keeping the pace going. I love that. That's so real. (laughs) Just keep it moving. I feel like I'm like subtly applying everything you all are saying to my own life right now. Oh, I love it. Okay, boundaries. Oh, okay. (laughs) Coming up after the break, we get into more questions, including one about large group dinners, which, let's be honest, we all dread. It's easy to know you want to make a change in your life, but it is hard to actually do it. How to Be a Better Human from TED is a podcast for when self-help feels too daunting or maybe even unrealistic or just not for you. 
I'm Chris Duffy, the host of How to Be a Better Human, and trust me, I do not have it all figured out. But join me as I talk to experts about actually attainable ways we can try to improve our lives. Whether it's facing fears, setting boundaries, cleaning your house without feeling like a failure, or all sorts of other topics. Find How to Be a Better Human wherever you get your podcasts. All right. So we got a question here from one of our listeners, Vanessa. She wrote in and said this. I have a question about eating out. If I get a salad and everyone else gets steak, should I have to pay extra for someone else's meal? What's the etiquette for telling people you don't want to pay for the extra drinks and appetizers they ordered? It's annoying that the people who try to split the check are the ones who come off as cheap and not the other way around. Have y'all been there before? Ah, yes. (laughs) I mean, who hasn't? Who hasn't? The birthday dinner that goes (laughs) sour when there is, you know, the the check comes up short. Also, like, that is a very good line at the end. How come the people that want to split the check come off as cheap, not the other way around? Mm. Um, I I think that that's a very succinct way of putting it. But I I feel like I have some, like, spicy advice on this one. Oh, go for it. Go for it. I don't think you get to choose. (laughs) I think think that, like— You just have to do it? I think that unless you are—I mean, like, like, I think that you you have to— inhabit that like if you want to make a big thing of it the cost is that everybody might think that you're cheap and that is sort of like the way that the the world works right now i don't think it's necessarily right or or when you are ordering say say it when you're ordering and not when the check is coming like you prepare like, everyone I want to be a like, separate check yes yes you mm. have to take care of yourself in yeah. this situation but yeah, I don't know. It's not fun. So I do agree with what you're saying to a certain extent. But like, what if you just don't have the money, right? Yeah. Like if you, do you, so then to your point, you maybe you just ask for a separate check or yeah. I've also had friends who like just walk into a restaurant and they're like, oh, I already ate at home or. Yeah, I'm going to have like a know. drink or whatever. And and usually right. there is an advocate at the table. Like you text one of your oh, friends sure. and you ask them to advocate for you and say like, oh, uh, you know, Tobin didn't order anything so like let's let's like take Tobin out of the count you know what I mean yeah you need someone to like when you have somebody else do that for you you don't have to come off as quite as cheap it's a tricky one yeah yeah Yeah. evergreen question (laughs) so I feel like Julia's advice was the healthy upfront you know like be a good person model (laughs) oh my god I have a potentially stealth piece of advice, which is I think in our modern times, at least recently when I've been out to eat, what tends to happen more often than a bunch of credit cards is one person putting down a card and then saying, everybody Venmo me. And in that instance, if you can get that to happen, either because someone offers or you're like, well, wouldn't it just be easier if someone put down their card for the points or whatever? Then you have a little bit of control just to say, cool, I owe you this much amount. And then it just becomes like a tone setter of like, oh, okay, cool. I guess everyone's just paying what they owe because like Venmo makes it easier. I think like among our friend groups, we like to sort of keep up this image that we're all like equally well off, if that makes sense. Like we're all sort of on the same plane. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think when you choose a restaurant, you sort of assume like, okay, we, we all chose this restaurant. So we're all sort of able to afford it. But then... I don't know, then the burden gets placed on the person who just can't afford it, and then they have to keep up these appearances, which can be really tough. I also have one very strong plug, which is that dinners out should be groups of six or less. 
Never, ever, <sighs> ever invite 18 it's people out much. to dinner. Yeah. Right? I just went to a birthday dinner and one of my good friends, she feels the exact same. She hates big dinners. <laughs> yeah, 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 and yeah. she... She like just intentionally went there like 45 minutes earlier and just had her dinner with a friend and then just like joined and chatted and then left early. I was like, wow, mm. I kind of respect that. You know, that's like an ice queen thing to do. And I kind of like it. I, res- I have respect <laughs> for it. I would never be able to do it. I would pay $200 for a tiny appetizer and at the 18 person group dinner and then curse about it all the way home and eat <laughs> pizza. <laughs> All right. So our next question is from a listener named Holly, and this is what she said. I'm a grad student, and even though I have a job, it doesn't cover all my expenses. So I'm still financially dependent on my parents. My dad has access to one of my bank accounts, and he sends me money each month for rent. I also have a credit card that's linked to my dad, too. But I have to call him and prove that something is an emergency in order to ever use it. My parents generally think I'm irresponsible with my money and don't trust my judgment, They're constantly projecting their money values onto me. How do I get my parents to trust my ability to make financial decisions so they stop constantly asking me and shaming me about my finances? I've been in this situation. Same. Yeah. 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 So what do you think, Tobin? I feel like the name of the game here is baby steps because what your your ultimate goal is financial independence and to be able to manage your own money so that you're not at the mercy of both your parents' purse strings and also their judgment. Um, But that's a ways down the road. As you said, you're in graduate school. You like it doesn't cover your costs. So for me, what that looked like was getting a secure credit card, which is like a training wheels credit card, basically, just so that, you know, it wasn't covering my costs, but it was at least building my credit. And then it was Mm -hmm. like setting up an auto deposit for like 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month. Just these like little things that made me start to build just like confidence in myself that I was managing some money, maybe not sure. all of it, but just some part of it. So that when the time came, like I did have credit or I had a little bit of savings or, you know, like those kinds of things. And I, I wonder if you take those steps and you start doing that and that's something you can show your parents, you yeah. know, and it's something. Show them the receipts. Exactly. And, and so the narrative is not anymore that you're just asking them for money. It's that you're doing the best you can. You're taking the baby steps that you can. I think that that's great, great advice, Tobin. I think the secure credit card is smart. I think that starting your own bank account in which you the, you say you have a job, I would put the money that you're earning in a, in a separate account that is your account that you feel accountable to. I think that the the main thing here is that like, you will not be financially independent until you are financially independent. And that right. is mm. a very unfortunate reality. I think um, there's a lot of emotion tied up in money. There's a lot of judgment. Well, the thing is, I think when your parents don't trust you with something like money, it can end up being like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Do you know Yeah. Mm. what I mean? Like if, yeah, like if you're being fed these messages that you're not good with it, that you're not making good financial decisions, that's going to feed into how you actually spend your money, I think. Yeah. And so I think you're right. It's like you almost have to gain confidence in your own ability to to manage your money and to save. Um, and then, yeah, like having an honest conversation with your parents and, you know, explaining to them, you know, what your goals are and what your plans are and how their help feeds or doesn't feed into that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you have to be accountable to yourself. 
and and like that is that is your like number one priority here. Yeah, I think that's so mm-hmm. true. You know, this question on its face is about like, what do I do about my parents? But like, if you get down to it, it's about like, what do I do to trust myself? Mm-hmm. You know, like, what do I do? Yeah, about my own relationship to money. Yeah. Okay, so now it's time for our very last question. So one listener, she wrote in, her name is Shoshana, and she said this. I'm pretty well off and have a relatively well-paying job, but my husband has stage four cancer, so for the last year, to cover his medical costs, despite following a tight budget, we've needed to dip into our savings regularly. That said, recently at work, my colleagues asked me to pitch in $20 to get our boss a gift. But the thing is, I hadn't budgeted for that, so I'm in this awkward position. Either I can pitch in and be part of the team, or I can stick to my budget and pass. Since one of the issues I've been having at work is related to not feeling like part of the team, I put in the $20. But I still feel conflicted about it. Should I talk with my coworkers about my situation, especially since I know it'll come up again? They're aware that my husband has cancer, but not what our financial situation is as a result. Oh, God, Shoshana. My heart grows out to you. Mm -hmm. I know. I I love that anecdote. It's such a small thing, but I can totally relate to that feeling Mm. of, like, being asked just, like, what seems like a modest amount of money, but then, like, calculating in your head how much you actually have and, like, what that'll do and feeling anxious about, you know, spending money that you didn't account for. Right. And I think that, like, spending money on healthcare in this country is, like, it's just a heartbreaking thing. I mean— I don't know your coworkers, but like it feels like a real basic human decency thing. If somebody says, My husband has stage four cancer, our medical bills are crippling. My yeah. life is is difficult in this moment. I don't think I can necessarily always participate in these in these team things that require also don't buy a gift for your boss. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a side note. Also, side note, why side are note, you buying things for your note, boss? I don't, know. You know, maybe don't buy it. Yeah. End office gifts forever. <laughs> <laughs> the detail that was left out is that it was uh, for boss's day, which I didn't even know was a thing. Yeah, oh, that's a no. made-up holiday. Set that gift on fire. No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Also, $20 each? What are y'all getting I know, at? I know. I know. Oof. I don't like it. I don't like Oof. it at all. And I actually think... I think that she should give herself permission to also not shoulder 100% of the emotional burden of sharing here. So, like, I think a strategy could be, like, you find your one good Judy at work who really gets it. Mm -hmm. And you sort Mm -hmm. of deputize them to be your representative when shit like this comes up. Mm -hmm. Oh, I like that. Because if there's somebody who just knows what's going on, what needs to be said, and they're the ones who know, okay, someone's coming around with a collection plate. I can cut this off at the pass and say, hey, this is her situation. Can we just leave her alone? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then it gets handled, and it's also not on you every single time to be like, look, this is my situation. I'm going to retell it to you um, and have to be vulnerable in that way. I think you can save yourself that that feeling every single time. Oh, I love that. I like that. And I think also you sort of have to ask yourself in these scenarios, like, okay, if I do reveal this information, what's the worst that's going to happen, right? Like, maybe it'll actually help alleviate the burden or obligation that I feel to pitch in. Like, maybe, like, I think it's easy for our our minds to go to worst case scenarios. Mm. But I think, like, the reality of it is if you do share in that sense, like, people will be compassionate. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. people are not monsters. What kind of monster would you have to be to, like, hear hear that someone is struggling in this very particularly painful way and be like, well, where's your 20 bucks? We got him a mug that says best boss ever. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. 
Well, I think that's it. I think we got through all of them. Oh my gosh, um, amazing. I'm not just saying this, but y'all are actually legit great advice givers. Um, <laughs> I like to listen to advice podcasts. So like, this is like my number oh, one dream. Nice. Thank you so much. Thank you for Thanks, having me. Thanks, y'all. Y'all okay. are so great. You're so great. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. 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 So if you have any questions for us and want to get some advice from the group chat, you can hit me up at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. All right, that's all for this week's episode. This is Uncomfortable is produced by me, Rima Khreis, Haley Hirschman, and Peter Balanon-Rosen. Megan Dietry is our senior producer. Drew Jostat is our audio engineer. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Muna Danish is our intern. Satara Nieves is the executive director of On Demand. And Deborah Clark is the senior vice president and general manager of Marketplace. And our theme music is by Wonderly. All right, catch y'all next week.